This week on the Physio Foundations podcast, I'm going to talk to Monash University physiotherapy academic and physiotherapist Jess Lindstrom about how to make that transition from being a clinician to being an educator. And then we're going to talk about some of her research plans in the years ahead. Welcome back to the Physio Foundations podcast for another week, where we talk about the knowledge and skills that provide the foundation of expert clinical practice. So I work with Jess at Monash University Physiotherapy. We've worked together for a few years, and I've had some really good conversations with Jess about education, research, and clinical work. I think she's going to be a really interesting person for you to hear from. That's why I invited her on. And rather than do the big exhaustive bio of Jess, I can say a few words. I mean, I've already mentioned Jess is a physio. She's now working part-time with us at Monash Uni Physio and she's started her PhD and she has an interest in women's health and pelvic health physio and anatomy. And why don't we hear from Jess herself? Jess, welcome to Physio Foundations. Thank you. Good to be here. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. I know you're busy. So tell us more about yourself. What did I miss? What are your backgrounds and interests and why am I so interested in chatting to you on the podcast? So I guess physio, went through Monash myself, we graduated in 2015. Um, I did a year of science because I didn't really know if physio or psych was what I wanted to do and it was two weeks in. I remember the moment sitting in the library reading a sociology textbook that I went, I want to be a physio. So then it was a year of making my way into the course, which you was You made it great. two weeks, did you? Yeah. Two I did weeks in, year. okay, good. I did the year, but two weeks there was a moment in the library of like, oh, I need to do physio. So that was good. Um, went through at Monash, loved it, lots of fun, uh, made some great friends along the way as well. And then started as a new grad at St Vincent's Public Hospital and I was there for two and a half years rotating around, kind of covered off every grade one rotation and was like liking it. Still wanted to be a physio, but nothing had like grabbed me as what I wanted to keep doing forever. Um, so then I went into private practice for a little bit. Again, didn't love the hours. <laughs> didn't want to be working on a Saturday morning, as many of us don't, but do have to. Um, did a bit of women's health then, which I enjoyed. I did some courses and worked in it a little bit. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about this, but like I loved the content and theory of it, but the actual treatment and day-to-day -day was good but still not grabbing me as like what I wanted to keep doing. Um, went into community rehab, did that privately, did it publicly and at some point, and I can't remember, can't remember doing this but I emailed John Fu who works here and I went through uni with who I knew was still at Monash and just said, do you think I could do some teaching? Do you know anyone that wants someone to teach? And then it's kind of all happened from there. I can't remember the moment of doing that, but apparently I did. Um, yeah, right. That, so that's that has come up many times in these conversations, in these origin foundation conversations of how people got into these roles, which typically aren't advertised, or if they are, mm -hmm. they're usually the big positions, you know, the sessional teaching roles aren't advertised. And mm -hmm. so it, it's often just a, hang on, why don't they just email John? what happened to know and, and go yeah. from there. So, yeah, look, it is important that you know people. We've also talked about the importance of maintaining a network. And even if you're quote unquote introvert, yeah, you know, let's, there are some things you can do to stay in contact with people. And mm. Mm, that's interesting. 
And yeah. then you, so John would have forwarded your email on to many people, including me. And then you ended up teaching with Pat and Mick Store and Jody mm-hmm. and, and others. And yeah. I, during the pandemic affected yes. years, during the lockdowns, wasn't that fun? Yeah. So, and funnily enough, I was at the point of like looking at doing um, like secondary school teaching because I just was like, oh, really? I know I want to yeah. do, yeah. I was like, I know I like physio, but I don't want to do the clinical stuff day to day full time. So it was like, find me something else. So I'm glad that John got back to me because I would have been <laughs> going down that other path that I don't know that I would have actually liked. Um, well, you might have liked it. You'd be really good yeah. at it. But you, well, so you, you actually, so it was the education that was dry, that was drawing mm-hmm. you in there that you wanted to work with people and, and educate. Right. Something, something there. Um, Little spark. Then I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did orientation with Joe for anatomy, not even student orientation, just staff orientation. And then the next week, the uni closed and it all went online. So, so this is in 2020. 2020, yeah. hadn't taught a class and we were online. So Yeah, our students a- came in for half a day and then this world, this um, the statewide call went around mm. that everything is closed and our first lockdown began and it lasted for a record number of days. And there's this, I've had the most common question I've had about that from people was, oh, well, did the students just miss out on all their practicals for that year? And of course, no, they basically did it twice. They did an online version with us and we were teaching online pracs, mm-hmm. doing our best, making things up as we went openly. We weren't pretending we weren't. And then we came back and they they got to do them all again face to face. So yeah, just I had did to both through, of those. grind through it. It was like having a house you've, you you're building and something affects the foundations. You knock it down and start again. You you did it twice, mm-hmm. but you've got one house. Yeah, jumping around the living room trying to demo things in your leg, trying to get the camera in the right position. <laughs> it mm. was interesting. And then coming back and doing the intensive teaching at the end of the year was a whirlwind as well. So yeah, it was a interesting year. A whirlwind for the students as well. Mm, who were really yeah. well prepared. So they, hats off to them, th- th- what they did. So they, they had their affected um, year and they went off and studied really hard. And of course they were at home doing this on their own and they had limited clinical context provided by us via camera and Zoom meetings. And then they came back and did it all properly face to face. So mm. that was interesting. And so that was your beginning in education was really disrupted just like those students were with their beginning <laughs> yeah. in their clinical education. And then what happened? What have you done since then? So I think it's been a process of just building up from there. So from, yeah, anatomy one day a week to adding on prac and adding on shoots and teaching into the post-grad DPT course, um, saying yes to marking assignments to the point of um, – doing like a covering unit coordination for anatomy for a semester for Sophie and then writing exams, just a bit of everything. Um, And then sometime last year I got an email from someone suggesting I apply for a unit coordinator job, which straight away I was like, I can't do that. Like there's no way that'll happen. I think that was an interesting learning in if it hadn't been sent to me, I wouldn't have applied. And then once I did get sent it, I actually went to a few people and were like, do you think I should apply for this? And they were very encouraging. And lucky I did because it worked out. I got that job. So now unit coordinating the fourth year um, clinical placements. So basically support for the students who are not on campus. So I don't get to send them face-to-face, but Zoom meetings and phone calls and lots of emails, but trying to support them through their placements. 
Yeah, that's yeah. a good summary of all the different things you might do in an academic role. So, and that's that's probably an answer to my one of my questions, which was give us give people a bit of an idea who may be interested in working in the university, how you might get the foot in your foot in the door. And you mentioned the dreaded exam marking, and and so that's quite repetitive, but it's also really important to do it. Um, you know, an assignment marking as well. You have to be really doing that in a fair way. Mm. And anatomy, you're, so I've, I've talked with you in anatomy, with Joe and the team down there. So you love it. Mm-hmm. What do you love about anatomy teaching? Um, what a leading question that is. Yeah. What do you love about things. this? <laughs> well, I happen I, to know you do love it. So, yeah. I think, um, and I mean, a comparison, I still enjoyed it that first year, but having students in person and in the crack or um, lab classes now is massive improvement, like being able to show them the anatomy. I think even like for myself, teaching it made me realise how much you need to know it, like how important it really is as a physio. Like you go through your union, like, yep, we need anatomy, it ties in, you go and work and you forget a lot of it, but you maybe get really good at a certain area of anatomy when you come back and teach it, you just like the relevance it has to clinical practice is highlighted to you massively. Um, I love the breakthrough moments when the students are just not getting something and we can grab a model or we can grab one of our um, wet lab specimens and show them something and it all, all clicks in. I love having those clinical discussions where they're going, oh, there's so there's this injury I've heard of and now I'm seeing the actual anatomy of that and putting that together and yeah it's just we we cover everything so it's it's quite cool going through those stages starting you know we literally learn what a joint is or we learn what a muscle fiber is and then by the end they've covered off the whole body neuroanatomy pelvic floor abdo and the whole obviously musculoskeletal system too so it builds up and mm. it's pretty cool that by the end of this course you're basically a fairly well covered anatomy whiz at yourself as well as the students. So the, mm, yeah. you're talking about the growth that you get in your own anatomy knowledge. Yeah, and well, the students particularly, but yes, we get that too. That's it. Well, we'd, I guess we're talking to you about your experiences, but absolutely. If if you're passionate about it, you're growing in your knowledge, you're learning how to learn while you're teaching. That's such a big part of it. Um, so those breakthrough moments are a lot of fun for both parties, aren't they? Oh, Okay. And we, we call each other facilitators rather than teachers and tutors mm-hmm. because our role as we see it is to facilitate learning rather than to wear the white coat and be the gatekeeper of knowledge. Um, so that's a, that's a really important point you brought up. And the clinical discussions as well. So loop me back from your clinical discussions where you bring value in and you show the students who are learning these foundational skills and knowledge, you show them why those things are important, right? Take mm. us back to where, when you're a full-time clinician and one of the things you said was, well, nothing grabbed you and you sort of, you're looking for more. And that's part of your origin story of moving into education and that's great. But what, what about clinical practice did grab you? What are you, what's your thing that you now really impress upon the students of how good it is to be a physio? <laughs> um, I think, to be honest, the number one thing for me is like the people connection that you get yeah um like being a physio and this is what we all lost in those years we were talking about in zoom but being able to actually be with your patients and get to know them i think when you're going through uni again you're so focused on like the skills and the learning and the like 
little bits there, but once you go out and start working, it's realizing that you get to know a person and like their, yeah, their physical problem or whatever you are treating them for or helping them with is a small part of their picture. Um, like knowing them as a whole person and the impact that you can have on parts of their life you thought you didn't think you could, maybe. So, you know, whether that's to help someone walk again and suddenly they can go to their favorite session that down at the RSL where they dance or something like it's you know that connection they have with other people as a result so yeah that was a bit of a roundabout but being able to interact with people and help more of their life um and then I think again I love the education as a clinician so being able to teach people stuff about their own body or about what they should or shouldn't be doing to help manage an injury or a health condition whatever it might be at the moment, I'm working in um, cardiac rehab, just as something else to add to the plate. And um, okay, it's so not an area I've really worked in before, but uh, the impact on these people who have, you know, potentially never had too many health issues, maybe, maybe not, they come in after some heart attack or other big heart event, and we are just teaching them 150 minutes of exercise a week, you know, strength training every second day, like the impact that has on them, and they i found they really want that knowledge. They're really interested to learn. And it's not hard physio. Like it's things can happen. That can be hard physio. But the education we're giving them is pretty straightforward, basic. But the impact it has and them wanting to learn it, I think it's really rewarding. Yeah, nice simple, thing. important things done well. It's mm. a good example of that, isn't it? One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you in public, not just all the interesting discussions <laughs> we have um, incidentally at work, is because there's a perception amongst some, and it has to be some, it can't be all people, particularly those online. So there's a sample bias here. There's perception we sometimes get of the people who teach in the university and the word dinosaurs has been used before and other disparaging things. And this idea, this false dichotomy really, where well, it's mutually exclusive that if you teach there in the uni, then your training and your contact with patients was many years ago and you're out of date and you're still teaching that the Q angle is related to injury or whatever the gripes people get, which is one I read today. And then there's people like you who are immersed in research, fresh from clinical practice, still practicing, reading, researching, going to conferences. I would generously call myself one of those people as well, but you're younger and fresher, so a better example. <laughs> Can we push back? I know this is a bit off the plan of what we're going to talk about. Can we push back a little bit? on that stereotype. So I guess we've been doing that through introducing you, but what would you say, what would your response be to that stereotype from the, all the people you've met in this role? Mm. Uh, is, is, is the university filled with dinosaurs who, um, who don't read the new research and haven't seen a patient for 50 years, 10 well, years? Not, yeah, not in my experience. I think, and I think what's tricky is physio department's probably a bit of a unique place and probably a lot of healthcare courses are maybe a little bit unique for the uni. I don't know. I haven't haven't been in the other departments or faculties. But everyone here I think actually does like they care about the clinical side of things. Um, and they like our whole profession is all about being up to date and looking at the most recent research. I've seen more dinosaurs and people still doing the, the older stuff in clinical practice than I have in uni by a long shot. Dinosaurs everywhere, fresh people everywhere, yeah. but you know, it's not yeah. to compare them at all, but it's it's a stereotype. Yeah. Mm, mm. Yeah, definitely not something I've come across. I think 
I mean, like I said, I wasn't here that long ago training and a lot of people I'm working with now taught me. Um, so it is a quick turnaround, I guess, in some ways, but I don't, like I I think everyone's trying to keep up to date. Um, everyone here is open to learning. Like even, you know, you do see those discussions go both ways too. Like I see some of our like colleagues having discussions with students and learning from that. Like we don't um, sit around and expect we know everything. Yeah. And I think even in teaching, one of the big things I've learned is to it's okay to learn something or not know something. It's about going and finding it. Like, as you say, we learn to learn and try and keep that going. I don't know if that really answered that. No, I that's just, good. We, we, that's the point. We, we need to learn from everyone around us. And it isn't a one-way flow of information. You're definitely always learning from the students, mm. particularly from the good questions. But mm. Sometimes even from the, the student who's a bit more silent, it isn't saying something that can say a lot as well. Well, I mean, what are there some things that you've really learned from students in terms of how to learn or even the content that you're learning? What have you really picked up from being immersed in teaching in the last three years? I think probably the main one on that point is that everyone learns so differently. So it's easy to go, this is how I learned to be a physio and this is how I learned my anatomy. Um, yeah. And even this is how I learn it now, which is different to when I was a student, but it's easy to stand out there and go, you should learn how I learned. But I think seeing the example from other people that I'm working with and what I've worked out from having different students around us, the way we process information, the way we can link things is so different. And also that it takes some people longer, but it doesn't mean they won't get it. It doesn't mean they're, you know, not doing as well or trying as hard. It's just that those connections for different people happen at different times. So I think that's been a big learning and it's just it's something you you don't realise we have to. Like we don't sit around yeah. thinking oh everyone's learning a different way to us as we go through uni. We just do our thing and it's when you come back and have to teach something to different people, you see the different way ways they go about it and that what works for someone won't work for someone else. So yeah, I think that's been a good understanding to gain. Yeah, and almost certainly improves what you do as a clinician as well. And it, it informs a lot of your research questions and your reading of research as well. Mm. So what tips could you give students for studying and being on placements? Well, let, let's talk, let's talk about studying in general. What are some good ways to study, some bad ways to study? What do you reckon? Mm. Let's start with bad ways is all right before your exam. Yeah, well, that's a good one. <laughs> we all know the cram. Um, why does that happen though, the cram? It's human nature, isn't it, to leave things to the last minute and wait for that, yeah. that pressure to build up. I mean, Some do it more than others. I think it's an experience thing. Like you definitely would see that more in your first year cohorts just because they haven't had to study in this way before. Like As we said, it's a process learning to learn and the way you learn and get taught at university is very different to high school or ever, often even other courses that people might have come from into the degree. So it is it is normal to do that your first time round, your exam's coming up. And I think some people will still actually study throughout the semester and then on top of that cram again just because yeah. of the panic and you think, if I put all this in my brain, I'll do better or if I haven't made myself panic, I'm not trying hard enough. Um yeah, I don't know. Learning through assessment as mm, well and motivation mm. to, to study and everything through assessment. I did a whole episode with Jody at the end of last year asking Jody, and we were both reflecting on why we have assessments. Mm. 
because they cause a lot of stress. Yeah. And trying to reframe the approach to being assessed and trying to look at the bigger picture of assessments. You're actually being assessed not because someone wants to put a test in front of you and make it hard, being assessed because in, in this context, it's an externally accredited course. And at yeah. the end of it, the, the bottom line is you get a degree, which is signed off by the vice chancellor of the university saying that you have passed all the requirements to be safe and competent and go and treat patients on your own as a primary contact practitioner. And this big responsibility. And it, they're only really little snippets of knowledge as you go along. And it's quite a big deal, actually. But the assessment yeah. itself really should be just be 10% or less of what you do, right? You, you should spend yeah. most of your time just making mistakes and exploring and learning, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's going to go back to good ways and bad ways to study. So I think that's, yeah, we touched on it, a bad one to leave it all there. But that's like you say, if you can build a process where it's going along, it's adding up particularly physio, I think we try and do things in a way that everything can add as the semester goes. So a skill you learn at the start, you're still relearning, maybe with a different part of the body, that sort of thing. Um, good ways to study. I always recommend study groups to the students. I know when I went through, I had a tiny group of four of us and we just spent any study time at one house and someone would bring snacks and we'd all have a go at going through the new content. Um, We'd even like split stuff up. So, you know, someone do a summary of this area and teach it and someone do a summary of this and teach that. I think as I've learned, teaching is a great way to learn. When you have to teach something to a group of people, you have to understand it. So that can be a nice way to, and like I said, and then you, you teach it and you make a mistake and the people you teach you go, oh, no, I think that's what that is, recorrect you, and then you all learn from that. So not being scared to have a go and make those mistakes too. Um, so, yeah, study groups. It's a great one. And teaching each other within those study groups and making yourself a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. And that has to go hand in hand with being willing to make mistakes and mm. being happy to be wrong and not always being in this performance mindset where you're expected to know things. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's where students can get a little bit stuck. So we have a prep class or anatomy where we're shooting questions. It's not because we're going, oh, you didn't know it. Like, that's a mark off in any yeah. way. We're just giving people a chance to have a go. And it's always, if you get something wrong, you do remember the correct answer a lot easier because you've had a go and you generally don't want to get it wrong again. So you learn from that process, um, just having a go. Mm. Which is um, how it works in the clinic with people. Yeah. Yeah. I think another tip or thought is when there's a chance for face-to-face learning to take it. So I know. Oh, good one. Yeah. Zoom's a part of our life now and it will be. Um, but I just think what you get from face-to-face interaction is invaluable. And it's not just about going like, oh, you know, this is the new content you've learned or whatever. It's actually all those soft skills of interaction, of um, being able to read body language, of, you know, just interacting with people and being comfortable with that. It's way easier to interact over a computer screen. So when you go into clinics and working life and you've got people in front of you, you need to be able to feel comfortable. You could argue that you, in the modern world, we need both. Mm, But but it's probably if we're relying on one and one is a part of the job, for example, of telehealth and 
Zoom mm. bay or video conferencing based consultations are going to be a part of the role. It's probably a pretty good, good idea to be practicing those and being able to mm. interact. But imagine if you'd never picked up a telephone before and you yeah. pick up a telephone and that's, that's a lot of people have a conversation now. with someone <laughs> that actually is true. <laughs> oh, I was joking. You have to pick up and have an adult conversation on a telephone with somebody. But if you'd never seen a, the device before, just a thought experiment, you pick it up and that would be really weird to hear like my dog uh, when I put on speakerphone and, you know, call out to the dog and the dog puts its head on the side. Oh, he's there. Where is he? Yeah. It, yeah. it would be a really strange thing. So perhaps it's um, perhaps to sum that one up, you, you know, you've, if you're comfortable with one thing, perhaps you can push yourself to have a go at the other. A good example would be those study groups and asking questions and setting the ground rules here. I'm, I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm probably going to be wrong. Who cares? Yeah. Let's have yeah. a go. Let's laugh yeah. about it. So avoiding that's a bad, bad ways to study, avoiding the cram, avoiding reflecting on your study strategies and thinking that it's just about cramming information in where really the purpose of university is to learn how to learn and yeah. in the good and, ways. Yeah, sorry. Uh, and I was going to say, don't stress about getting your study strategy exactly right the first time. So I think sometimes uh, people one. get so caught on trying to study perfectly and most efficiently and exact right way, they actually spend more time on that than just having to go. And I think, again, like I said, what I did to study when I was at uni, to study anatomy, say, versus what I do now is totally different. Yeah. And it can be because I'm at a different point. But, you know, it doesn't mean what I did back then was wrong. It worked for me then. So it's, it's always going to change. And you just have to be ready to adapt with that, I think. And to do that, don't try to be perfect. Have a perfect mm. study strategy. I yes. think if you set out with the idea that you will make mistakes, it's things you don't know, um, no one will laugh at you. You mm. can say, stop, I'm not following if you're working in a study group and mm. just set some expectations. It's actually, it must be a bit of a sense of relief to, to be in a class with Jess as, as the facilitator and Jess says, I don't know, I'm mm -hmm. not sure. Or says, great question. Let's look that up together. And you can sort of see that process Yeah. rather than expect, I'm a, I've done my prep, I'm here. I can't remember all this stuff. I'm expected yeah. to know it. It's just a way of measuring it going to the class and you can really see where you're at. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's I think great. That was a, oh, sorry, last one. Yeah, go <laughs> one for it. It's good. I think, and it's, it's probably a bit more for when you're at uni and placements rather than working, but it's still all there when you're working position is to use resources and supports that are out there, um, particularly my new role in the clinical support. Um, for students on placements, there is mm. so much available, like, you know, a different um, people that can help with language and interaction and there's counselling support and I'm there to try and help in some ways and we can go back and look at content, all of that, but it's always harder when you leave it too long. And, you know, we don't always know day one that we need support, but the sooner we can recognise that and not be shy to reach out and ask and not think there's anything wrong if we're asking for support because once you get into the working world, everyone's using support where they can, whether it's, you know, a team leader to help them out, a more senior physio or a specialist physio who knows something that you don't know. Like all of those things are there to help us. So No one's going to come along and save you. An actual mm. expectation of the role is that you report proactively when you need support. 
And so that's what we're trying to train students to do. Yeah. And so um, it, that's hard to do though, when you're younger, especially when you're less experienced and yeah. especially if you have this perception, this expectation that you're a high achiever, you're supposed to know everything. Everyone else puts their best self on the outside yes. and, and you think, oh, I'm the only one here that doesn't understand. How can I ask a question? Sometimes these are barriers to mm. seeking support, aren't they? And it's also like you can't be expected to know what support is available. So it's sometimes just asking the question, this is an issue I'm having. What can I, what help can yeah. I get? Or is there help? Or, you know, this, we've been through it all that we might not know how to help you exactly, but we might know who can. So I think that's, yeah, mm. there. You just got to ask for it, which I know is hard, but usually once you take the leap, it has big payoffs. Yeah. No, sage advice. Really good, Jess. <laughs> Love it. Let's talk about your upcoming PhD because that's really mm-hmm. interesting as well. So what are you, what are you about to um, push the button on? What have mm-hmm. you committed to? And it's pretty exciting. So you've gone from, if you think about where you've been in a um, handful of years, you know, you've been, you've gone from clinical practice into teaching and now into a PhD and you've got an academic role. So you've done a lot of things that people always ask me about. How do I get into teaching? How, how would I go about getting into a PhD program? I get those questions every week. So let's hear it from you. So had, first of all, what's the PhD about? And then we'll talk about how you actually got into that position. Yeah. So, yes, PhD is very early, still doing the enrolment. So, we'll, uh, yeah, on the way. Um, but topic is urinary incontinence in female athletes. So really looking at pelvic floor muscles as a physio. That's sort of our area that we can help out. Um, and looking at, I guess, what can be done to help reduce the issue. Um, definitely an under-researched area, especially women in sport, hugely under-researched area. So hopefully start to make some inroads in the topic. Yeah, and some big leaders in this area, including Jody from mm-hmm. our department, who's been talking about this on the podcast before, and uh, and many people within Jody's group who are leading this area. So um, under-researched, but emerging track record and people you can really mm. work with. Yeah. So, why, why do you do a PhD? Just let's not, before we go into the weeds of it, some people might've thought, oh, I'm not, never doing that. What, what is that? What's a PhD actually for? What's the purpose of it? Have you thought <laughs> about that? Question. Look, no, yeah. I've got thoughts on that. But. <laughs> so I was definitely someone that never thought I would do one. And yeah. it's amazing how now that I'm doing it, it's not, doesn't feel like a big shock. Like I think if I thought back to my past self going, no way would I ever go there. But I think at that stage I thought if I did one, I'd be like, what am I doing? But I'm just like, oh yeah, that's what I'm doing now. So it's been a it's been a process of discussions and um considerations. I guess originally it was I got, you know, I was teaching here and I thought I want a permanent job in the department and PhD is how I get there. Um that didn't necessarily turn out to be the pathway. So I did get that um yeah, permanent part-time job as the unit coordinator. So then it was going, is it still something I want to do? And I think there's two two parts for why you do it. If you do want to be an academic and move up, yes, realistically, a PhD is going to help. But um, I think for me, like as much as that might be in the background, the the big thing for me is the topic and the area of research. Um, I touched on earlier that I did a bit of women's health clinical work, 
and loved the content and the education and I want to have an impact in the area, but I think it'll, um, like, I'm more interested in having that impact on this, like, higher level scale where it's, you know, finding out something new, delivering that education to physios or to coaching staff or to athletes and being able to have an impact more on their knowledge and their education and the things they're doing mm. um, rather than that sort both. of one-to-one. Yeah, you, you, yeah, of course you need both, yeah. Yeah, totally. But I think that's, that's something I want to be able to do. So while I might still do the one-to-one, of course, being able to have the ability to go into this other area of, I guess, a bit more global change, maybe global studio could work, but <laughs> a bit more um, high-level change or education or knowledge would be really cool, something I can see myself sort of building through over time. That's really important because it takes – It's so that's the – the bigger goal of it is great, but then the reality of a PhD is a lot of grunt work mm-hmm. and then you need to be returning to your purpose all the time in order to get through it. So that's a really important area. And we've heard about that before from Jody on the podcasts and we'll hear about it again. So tell us about actually doing it. So what could you, what tips could you give for someone who's like yourself, who's thinking, okay, I've got two main reasons to do this. One would be career progression and job applications. And the other one would be for this topic. Hopefully that's the most important reason. So how do you actually go about it? Mm. If someone's thinking they're, they're, I guess they're in that early stage of contemplation, perhaps of doing this one day. Um, it typically happens at a university. You have supervisors. Let, let's break down doing a PhD for yeah. someone who is, it's in more of their distant future. I think I was, I'm going to say lucky, but might not be the right word, to be in the department and to know people when I was doing that session or teaching and some very good, I guess, informal mentors in that sense. So Jodie, who is like goals, she won't say that, but that's like the goal to be like her. Um, She's good. Yeah. So I met with her like, it must have been three years ago now, we had a coffee to talk about this stuff and, you know, she was sort of in the, I guess, middle stages of her PhD in a similar topic then and she took the time to sit down and talk with me about the options and, like, what realistically the pathways are from sort of having done no research to maybe get to a PhD or to maybe be in just research in general in women's health. So she was there and I think also yourself, Luke, just... Having those conversations, I think, made me realise that I didn't have to already be qualified or already have all this experience to get involved. So I think you added me to the, like, I attended the meeting with the Musk research team. That's and, right, yeah. Mm. So and think, it doesn't cost anything to do that. It's just a bit of time. People are often happy to have you mm. in their group. We were presenting very, you know, the research presentations and sharing knowledge in our monthly meeting. Yeah, everyone's welcome. And we met mm-hmm. that and, yeah, in you go. So just having chats to people that are willing to sort of give you that opportunity and also not expecting everything to result in something. Like even that conversation with Jodie and me has led to other things along the pathway. But, you know, it's been three years since we first had that chat and, you know, I just kept returning to it and, and asking what was happening and didn't try to force this issue too much. But knowing that every convo you have kind of adds up over time, shows your interest. You know, you often be like, oh, any any progress on that, checking in. Like having people around you that know that maybe that's what you want to do um, is really helpful. 
So I guess even if you're not within a department, working in a department, look up the people that are in the topic you want to be in or the field and, you know, I think reaching out, like I know you and Jodie are often saying you're getting these questions and contacts, but I think you're probably more than happy to get them and maybe you don't always have the time to get back straight away, but I think people are always willing to help out when there's a genuine interest and desire to build something there, maybe. So think about that. It's the best part of three years of building that. I don't know if people are fond of the term career capital. Um, It'll go out of fashion before we know it, but this career capital where it's beyond money, it's beyond outcomes, but you've got, it's just people's awareness of what you're doing and the connections, Mm. the networking that you're doing. Um, Best part of three years before that actualized into anything. Yeah. So that's an important lesson right there. It takes time. Yeah. And in that time, I did a bit of research. But again, like I, other than having gone through and done a whole lot of research through the course, I hadn't done any in the five years that I'd been out of uni. Um, but like did stuff with Jody. She had little bits and pieces that I could help out with. So that was really good. And again, little it was... Little bits and pieces of research projects. Yeah, helping her out, whether yeah. it was, you know reading some abstracts and title screening or those those bits where you're not doing a whole project but you're just helping out so that you're again showing your interest getting little bits of experience yeah so some of that's un, unpaid and not necessarily on an outcome a research output and then other yeah. parts of it can be paid you can have a research assistant role mm. as paid uh, from a grant for example and yeah. you can be involved in as an author on publications as well that's something that, yeah i was gonna say i helped out um with some research someone else in the department that was not in women's health area but again like that opportunity came up to do it as a paid research assistant and i thought great you know all of it's building so yeah it's just bits and pieces along the way that haven't necessarily added to what like i'm you know they're not feeding into what i'm going to be doing but it's all experience that i got that now when that term comes up or that process you go through, I go, oh, yeah, I know a bit about what that is. And once again, um, none of that's advertised. Mm. And you may not be aware that you can do this stuff. Yeah. Hopefully why? Hopefully, one of the benefits of this conversation. Yeah, yeah. Knocking on doors, see if they open. Yeah, very true. Just talking to people. And I, I like how you said it doesn't always have to lead to an immediate outcome. Patience is a virtue as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's when I look back over my whole career. Oh, I've done a lot of stuff. And, like, there's been times where, you know, preparing for job interviews, Dad likes to throw the tricky questions that you're ready for. And, you know, the question of um, looking at your resume and the fact that you have done so many things and haven't stayed, you know, in one place for eight years, what does that mean? And I think I just see that as, like, everything I've done has built towards where I've got to. So, you know, coming into the job as unit coordinator, if I hadn't have worked in different areas of physio and supervised students in those different areas, I wouldn't have been, you know, ready for that job. So same with this stuff, the women's health courses I did and the women's health work I did while it's been a break that I've done that. It's now adding towards the PhD that I'm going to be doing and having some knowledge there. Yeah, I think everything adds up over time. It's all experience. It's one of the real advantages of our profession is that you can do that without damaging your reputation and your career progression. You can go eight years and you can move around for different roles. Everyone can be very grateful for having you there. You can contribute. And it's almost it's almost a part of it. Mm. There, there are things to 
um, you know, there, there are benefits for working in a job and building up your your list in the private practice course and really getting to know the surgeons or the referrers in that area. There's some benefits as well of staying yeah, in the one absolutely. spot, but you can stay in the one spot and build things around you as well. Mm. So, you, you know, you're, as I say, you're building up your reputation and you're, you're getting known in this area. You're in the same clinic, but you can, you can change your fraction. You can start teaching in the university. You can get involved in clinical research projects, even if it's just helping with the project in your clinic. Researchers are always looking for people who want to be who are willing to be involved in research. You can supervise yeah. students and some of our students will do research projects in the clinic. So much you yeah. can do to freshen up what you do. Because back to one of your really early comments in this conversation, where you said, oh, I was sort of searching for something else and nothing was grabbing me in that area, that can be a bad thing if you just let it be. It yes. can be a really good thing. So what, is, what else can I offer in this area as well? Yeah, and I think on all that stuff, you reach out and I think going back to looking at opportunities in research and academia as well, if you are reaching out and trying to make the space for that, can be really tricky as a clinician. Like I said, if you're working full-time, adding all this on top. Right, yeah. I think you've, if you want to give it a go, as I said, you can sometimes change your fraction. People might do it after hours or on the weekend. But I think being careful as well that if you're adding and adding and adding, it's mm. going to make you stretch pretty thin. So one of the big things was made, for me was making the space to have the time to say yes. So like I said, yes to all those different things along the path. But I did take points where I didn't work full time so that I knew that if these things came up or I made sure I had casual positions so that they could add up. It's not always that easy. So I think for people that may be going like, how do I say yes to these things? Sometimes it is a bit of taking on, you know, on top of your full time hours or can you drop a bit of work time? But probably not just being careful that you're not going overboard all too quickly and giving yourself a space to laugh as well somewhere in it. <laughs> yeah, that's really good advice. So you've done eight years of really varied work. You've built yourself up towards the position where you're doing your PhD, you're teaching in a university. Um, it's amazing. I'm sure there are people out here who want to say, how did Jess do that? How did she get to that position? That's really cool. I'd like to do that. There's something in there for me. So you've gained all these knowledge and skills since graduation. Uh, everyone's got different knowledge and skills and yours are your own unique set. So of all that, everything you know, what do you think are the most important foundational knowledge and skills that our students or um, clinicians or listeners could, could focus on? You've mentioned anatomy. Yeah, I was going to say, I'll plug yeah. anatomy. <laughs> yeah, because that's an interest of, shared interest of both of ours. Yeah. But let's think about, and you, you've mentioned the, um, the communication skills and the people skills. What did you say earlier? You, you said it was all about... Connection with people. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. Connect, yeah. Thank you. I've written it down and I couldn't find where I've written it. You, that, that was one of your earlier answers. It was about your connection yeah. with people, Yeah. Which, which itself is a skill to be able to do that. Mm. Or it's in, maybe it's an outcome, but the skill think, of communication you've mentioned. What, yeah. what else? Yeah. So I think starting skills, like the ability to connect with people and uh, Again, it's not really talk about wanting to, like wanting to have that connection yeah. with your patients, with your colleagues, whether they're physios or other um, health professionals. I think physio is all about the people and the rapport. That's the word we always use when we're teaching. Um, I think, yeah, having a desire to actually get to know people more than just 
yeah, I really know your knee well. Like I know that part of your body really well, but know the person as a whole. Um, and I think as you go through, like your favourite patients, always those ones with an amazing story about their life. Those, you know, you take your older patient for a walk once a week when you see them and you hear this building story about their history and their life and it's just something you never imagined. So that's really cool. So, yeah, I guess that comes to communication. It comes to, like, listening. It comes to making the space for that, so not going in and just trying to get through all uh, your yeah. clinical things, get through your list of tests, whatever it might be. And that's hard. Like, it is absolutely hard because we're all under pressure and time pressure and wanting to get through. But you'll gain more for your interaction and for your treatment. But you'll also just gain more as a person when you get to hear these stories and know these people that you never would have come across if you weren't working in the role. So that's my skill. Knowledge, as we said, anatomy is a good one. But I think the big thing is knowledge of where you're at. So what you're, um, like knowledge of your level or being able to reflect and know where you can get help. It comes back to, we talked about that, but yeah, knowledge of where you're at. You don't have to know it all. So it's a funny one to put under knowledge that you don't have to know it all, but being able to go, yeah, at the moment I don't know it all and these are the gaps. These are what I, I need to find out. There's a paradox there, out. isn't there? There's a paradox where, where you you don't need to know it all but you need to know a lot and there's, mm-hmm. and, and w- there's not really many things you say, oh, I don't want to know that. You, you We're thirsty for knowledge in lots of different yeah. areas. So there's the a mindset more than a skill, isn't it? Yeah, S- Saying, well, I, yeah. I don't need to know everything i just have to have a good process and and i need to be reflective of where i'm at it's almost like you don't have to know everything now but there will be a point where you might need to know that stuff so you know you're working in a certain area and there's content you don't know when you get there sure that's okay but you want to build that knowledge and become competent as you know physio there so know that know when you don't know something and go find out how Mm. i've I've interviewed five of our grads as part of the new grad series I'm doing. And that's come up time and time again, just the importance of being honest and reflecting mm. of where you're at. No one has, n- none of them have said, Hey, well, you know, I, I need to know everything. I need to know more. And I'm stressed about that. And yeah. um, it's very stressful. That hasn't actually stress hasn't come up once. That's good. Um, and it's, you know, I've only interviewed a, f- a handful of people, but it's been very positive. These conversations about, Hey, well, they felt very comfortable in their skin. Mm. I'm here. I'm doing this. I can. Everyone can offer something. So there's some some good advice that they've been giving the listeners and me, and probably their mentors have been giving them. It was just really good to hear because what we see, I see uh, the students in the first year of the course, and they go undergo a dramatic growth. Yeah. Even just a, across a year, but across four years, and you see them as fourth years, and then we just to reconnect again as graduates. Mm. It's really good. Yeah, it is so cool. And the confidence they build even over a semester, over a year, over the four years, it's more than just their skills. It's everything. Yeah. So if you're a student, have faith, dear listener, and that (laughs) will be you too soon before you know it. And there are people like Jess and many others you can connect with and be your mentor as well. It won't be long before you're mentoring people, but (laughs) we digress. So these are, so these, these skills to summarize the, they're a bit more meta, which is good. So we're just hoping you'd go in a bit more detail than going communication skills. I mean, they're, they're important, um, but you've got to elaborate on that. What do you mean? So this, the knowledge of where you're at, not just 
having knowledge, but having that knowledge of that reflection on where you're at and then, um, and those skills of, of learning as well and bringing them on to being a, uh, a clinician. So specifically then any more foundational skills, we really need to know our anatomy or can you have a bit of, <laughs> yeah, that's all right. I just sort of generally know my anatomy. And I had Chris Sevel on a few episodes ago and his big thing was anatomy as well. A few others mm. as well. What if we um, straw man the anatomy argument? You know, how much anatomy is too much? <laughs> what if you've forgotten all your anatomy? Can you still be a good clinician? What do you think? Oh, I don't think so. You need to know your anatomy <laughs> to a point. I yeah. think, and look, I think, and what I often say, like students, like, this is just so much. I say, realistically, when you go out in the world and you're working, like if you are specialising in a certain area, your anatomy in that area is going to be awesome. Yeah. And, yeah, your other areas might fall back a bit. But as the song goes, everything's connected. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like you might not know something, but there's every chance it's going to come up and you're going to have to look it up. So, again, it comes back to being able to search for info and go, oh, I can't remember that or I know there's something more I need here and looking for it. So yeah. anatomy is just so linked into everything. Um, like I, I, I've said a few times that I think it almost needs to be like a five-year out of uni, you go back and do a refresher anatomy course for a day or something. Like it's for myself going back and doing it and teaching it has been like, well, this makes me a better clinician for sure. Um, but we're all busy. So it's really just keeping keeping on top of it in whatever way you can. And there's so the many ways to do that. With There's so many free apps and resources of, that never used to exist back in the day that yes. you can take advantage of as well. But you're yeah. not going to do that unless you have that humility of saying, well, I don't know, and it's okay not to know, and I'm going to look things up. And, again, mm. that's come up in many previous conversations here about people's strategies. Well, I look things up in front of the patient, in front of the person, mm. patient, and we look it up together which is what you yeah. said about working with students as well. You don't have to, you know what I really enjoy. I get a lot out of social media, physio, Twitter, physio, not so much Instagram. I know it's really good. There's a lot of good stuff on there, but it's just I'm a bit old for it. I really like the physio Twitter with the conversations that people get into, but there is almost an expectation if you're posting on there that you know the answer, which is um, almost the opposite of what you've just suggested. Do you, mm. I, I just said, I don't know today on Twitter in a thread that I was involved in on um, Salias versus Gastroc. I just really wanted to find out more. What do you think? And I put some, some comments on there. You don't have to know everything, but I must admit it has taken many years before I'm confident to say, I don't know. And so I really sort of admire the new grads who came on and spoke to me. And that was part of their front up strategy was saying that they don't know, mm. which is a sign of an expert. Mm. There's a feeling you get when you want to ask, when someone's there talking about, like, you know, we'll do anatomy briefings and Joe will be going, oh, so you can show them this and you know this links to this. And if I, like, if I can't quite work out what she's talking about, there's this feeling where I'm like, oh, I need to know that. And then you have this moment of like, oh, can I ask? Don't want to should embarrass I, myself. Should yeah. I know that? But mm. over time those moments build up and you go, I don't want to have that feeling because then it, it plays on later what you go, I know I need to talk about that and I don't know what it is. So it's, yeah, impressive when people are early in their career and already able to identify that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and hopefully by just uh, us talking about it and reflecting on that, we can encourage that virtue in other people and it, you don't mm. have to be the boss, the expert and know everything. 
no one cares if you're the expert. (laughs) No one cares. (laughs) So what are you aiming for? That's more about what we're doing. And like you said, it's, it's all about just connecting with people in this role. That's why you're doing it. And if, what, you know, if you don't like connecting with people, there are other career avenues. There's other things you can do within physio all, mm. all the way through to administration and academia and research. That's, you know, along the way you will connect with people. Hopefully you've chosen this degree because you like connecting with people. Yeah. And like you said, you, um, you actually have to want to make that space and time to connect with people. You yes. actually have to want to do that. It's not just something you can force. Although that was a really good observation. I've taken all your all the time allocated, Jess. You probably have other things to do, but um, any final thoughts you wanted to add? Jed, the one thing that, like, when I was thinking about what I was going to say, I think the big thing, like, I the job I'm in, and even the PhD as well, like, there was part of me that was like, you can't fight for these. Like, you are not qualified. No, like, why would why would you be doing that? And I think it's just like having a go at stuff sometimes is also part of career progression. So, you know, putting your hand up and saying yes to things is part of it, but also applying for something that you might not get and that's okay. And um, like I was almost, almost felt like would it be embarrassing if I applied and everyone went, why has she applied for that? Like, does she really think she can do that? And so it's so funny looking back now being like, why did I think that? Like I wouldn't have had the job if I'd let that thought um, guide me. So. I think back to all of it, like we talked about saying yes to things, making space, having a go um, as well. Just, yeah, when you when you want to put your hand up for something, there's kind of no harm in doing that a lot of the time and you never know where it's going to lead to. So, yeah, and if you try something and don't like it, that's also okay. In- These are solid bits of advice. I wish I had someone <laughs> telling me this advice when I was a new grad. How good would mm. that be? Wish I had all these things. Actually, quite happy with my life how it's panned out, but I think, you know, you guys who've got podcasts and social media and a million different courses and resources, as Jess has said, um, everywhere you look, um, sometimes you've got a bit too much of that stuff, but you've got this stuff here. And and as Mick, who still hasn't come on the podcast yet, because I haven't been able to book him (laughs) in, but as Mick Storr says, your number one resource when you're studying is each other. Yeah. And I think Jess touched on that as well. So it's really good bits of advice. Let's wrap it up. Um, thanks everyone for joining us in the conversation. Um, please share the episode with someone who you think will find it valuable. And can you can connect with us via social media at Periton Physio or, or me at Luke Periton. Jess, where can people find you online? Mm, gosh, I have a Twitter, but it's not very active. That's all right. <laughs> I'm guessing it's at Jess Lindstrom. Is that Twitter? But I'm on yep. Instagram, but it's also just more me like riding my bike and going running and stuff. So it's probably not that good. Let's say Twitter in a little while once I start doing articles, I'll put them up there. <laughs> this stuff builds up over time though, because it's really good for academics, um, social media. Mm. It's really good. So you might find that builds over time, but yeah. well, we know you now. We've, later. Intru- <laughs> yeah, we've introduced you to the audience. Obviously we need to come back and talk about your PhD and your findings in women's health. Mm-hmm. And the same with Jodie when she um, has finished her PhD soon and but a lot of other conversations to come back to in the future. But now we've introduced you and you've your philosophies for teaching and learning and um, career progression. I found that really interesting. See, everyone, this is what I'm talking about. These are the conversations I'm lucky enough to have in the corridor with all these cool people. And mm-hmm. I, the whole point of this podcast, I thought, why don't I just record some of this stuff and share it with you? So I hope you've been enjoying it. So thanks very much, Jess. Thanks.
So until next time, this is Jess and Luke wishing you all the very best with your studying, professional development and lifelong learning. 